Hello and welcome to Empowered, the empowerment podcast where I, Imogen Barnes, embrace the power of the human spirit, storytelling, and the unity that comes from lived experiences. Tune in to be informed, inspired, and above all, hope instilled. Everybody and welcome or welcome back to Empowered. I am simply exploding with happiness to be able to bring you this powerful conversation today. I was honoured with the opportunity to connect with Meg McCabe, an eating disorder survivor and now CCI certified recovery coach from opposite sides of the world in Denver, Colorado. Meg and I have been in touch for a couple of years now and it was my absolute dream to have been able to feature on Meg's very own full and thriving an eating disorder recovery podcast just a few months ago. Today, Meg and I share an insightful and raw conversation full of many epiphanies from our own healing journeys and mindset reminders to guide yours. Meg is motivational beyond belief and truly captures the essence of what it means to be fully recovered. I cannot wait for you to tune in. Now, before I play this episode, I am going to leave a precautionary trigger warning here because Meg and I do discuss mental health and eating disorders. So if they are topics that are likely to bring anything up for you, please do feel free to click away now and to protect your peace. I will of course leave links to the show notes below in case this episode does in fact bring anything up for you. Now without further ado, here is the remarkable Meg. Welcome Meg. I was going to call you Margaret for a second there and I was like, does anyone, because when I went to message you as well on your email, I was like, Margaret, do you get Margaret very often? (laughs) I get Margaret from my therapist. Oh, <laughs> of all people, it's like some inner child like thing he he tries to pull sometimes. But definitely get Margaret from the therapist, and then sometimes when I'm feeling very official uh, on the phone, I will say hello. This is Margaret McCabe. So love it. It's great. Yeah. You so troll. you can call me. Most people call me Meg. Everyone in the recovery world knows me as Meg. No, she was Meg. I was like, I love that. Love, I love that your therapist does that too. I was thinking maybe it was a mum thing, like when you're in trouble as a kid. So yeah, I don't know. I get it. It. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that's why he does it. I've never asked. I've just accepted it. Just gone with it. Okay. <laughs> um, do you want to start off by introducing yourself, Meg, and telling sure. us a little bit about yourself? I would love to. So my name is Meg McCabe. I am a Carolyn Costin Institute certified eating disorder recovery coach. I have a private practice for coaching individuals with eating disorders. And then also I am the founder of the Recovery Collective, which is a membership for people in recovery and who want to be connected in a recovery community. So that's mainly what I do. I'm based in Denver, Colorado, and I have lived experience. So I had an eating disorder for several years in high school and college, and I am now fully recovered. 
Oh, so you're an inspiration and you're turning all that heartache into something spectacular. Look at you go. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm just so, I, it's, it's an accomplishment and I'm very proud of being recovered. And I feel like it's something that it's so hard to do, right? Recovery is so hard to do. But when you get to the end of the rainbow, it's like, freaking amazing and you're like this is worth it so so worth it and I know you everyone hears this a million times a day if you're on Instagram or YouTube watching recovery content but it really does feel special to be in this place especially when you know how hard and all the work you had to put in and the dedication and the fear that went into actually committing to the process and so when you get to the end of it yeah like what I feel like that's a flex (laughs) in itself yes and do you want to know what I want to add to that it's not just being recovered. It's being anti-diet that almost feels even more special. And I'm so glad that I thought of this nuance because that's what I really love also is that being anti-diet and being like impenetrable from the forces of diet culture around us when everyone else in the world seems so influenced by it and manipulated by diet culture to be immune by that and to be like been there done that didn't work for me and now I just protect my energy and honor my body that feels amazing too right and it's like I recovered from an eating disorder and I also now think like despite spending all those years having a literal disorder relationship with food I think I now have a healthier relationship with food than the average person Mm -hmm. lo and behold right I was even just, yeah, well, I was sitting at the hairdresser today and the conversation going on beside me between the other person getting their haircut was around diets and, you know, their weight and weight loss and foods and intolerances. And I was just, like you said, in that moment, so grateful to not be still immersed in that world and just being able to see a world beyond it or an existence beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be distanced from it. And even when it's surrounding you, it doesn't impact you. And that's like how strong you are in in your recovery, right? Is to be able to hear those conversations and not feel tempted or even engage in them or even pretend to engage in them. Um, And that's, that's really empowering to me. I think of the people who have everything, like for instance, Oprah, I think of her, we all know she deals with like major dieting issues, chronic weight cycling, all of that. She has all the money in the world. Apparently, I don't know how much money she has, but she's just like lots of blessings in her life. And she, even this one person struggles with something. It's like the bane of her existence. And I've broken free from that. And I feel like pretty, pretty wild, but it shows everyone struggles differently too not to put down Oprah or anything like that no no I understand completely it's like that oh it's a relief to know that you're not burdened by that anymore despite knowing that you know so many so many people are you know it's like it's actually quite rare to have a healthy non-disordered relationship with food society in general has a very disordered relationship with food Mm -hmm. so what a blessing it is to to be be able to live beyond that and also empower people to live beyond it as well like Mm -hmm. you are Thank you. So are you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have a couple of like icebreakers. The first one being, is there something that you do in your day-to-day life that you find empowering and, you know, lights your soul on fire? 
Ooh, I love this question. Um, so new answer for me. I recently got into playing guitar. Yes. Stop. I love this. I have not had this answer before. This is great. So I, I am very professionally driven and I felt like I really need to be more balanced, right? I need to be practicing what I preach. I can't just focus on being hyperproductive because part of recovery is resting. And so I was like thinking to myself, you know, if, if I needed a, like a really legitimate coping skill or distraction or just something to relieve stress, I was like, what can I do? And I always imagined and envisioned myself playing guitar and singing along. Like whenever I heard the radio, I would, <laughs> I would like imagine myself playing covers of these songs. And so I took that and I was like, maybe that's telling me something. Maybe I should just go for it. So for my birthday, I got a guitar and I started taking lessons. This was just a few months ago. And I'm telling you, it just lights me up. It's immediate uh, shift in energy and mood for me. Oh, that is actually spectacular. And what a creative outlet. You know, I'm, it must use a different part of your brain or something. I don't I don't actually know the science behind it, but I think it's something that stimulates you in a in a way that you know, regular like day-to-day living doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's very stimulating and it keeps me anchored to the present. Yes. Yeah, you definitely, especially when you're learning something new. It's very difficult to not be mindful, but it's not like this intentional mindfulness. It's like accidental, which I think is really, yeah, it's a gift in itself. Yes. It's like when I'm dancing, I feel the same way. It's this accidental presence where you just get kind of swept into the moment and it's just amazing. So that, that's a long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) I love that. Uh, The second one I would like to ask, this one, this is one of my favorites as well. Do you have any memories that give you warm and fuzzy feelings instantly? Anything that you just straight back to that time and you're like, oh my gosh, I definitely do. I think you and I mentioned this on my podcast, but I had a really lovely childhood. So I'm very grateful. I'm very blessed to have that. And the first thought I had was, just being a neighborhood kid and all of my neighborhood friends. And I I grew up in this little suburban neighborhood in the nineties. And the first thought I had, because I was, I was assuming you were going to ask me memories related to food. Um, So the first one was um, remembering the ice cream truck coming through the neighborhood and (laughs) and just sprinting outside the house. Like, rushing to find a few quarters or a dollar somewhere and then sprinting outside and then talking to Darren, the ice cream man. Oh, Darren. Yes. I love the young name. <laughs> Darren and all of my friends would be there. And then he could tell me and my sister apart with her twins. So we loved Darren. But anyway, that was my warm and fuzzy memory. That is so wholesome. I love that with all of my heart. <laughs> Did you, okay. Just really curious in Australia, our ice cream, trucks have bells so you could hear them did yours yeah yes ours had bells and it was way cooler than what they do now which is the creepy carnival music I don't know if you god no that's ice cream trucks lately but they've all evolved to this weird music no that sounds that sounds horror movie worthy 
<laughs> yeah, usually it does because it's off. It's like a little off. It's not like in tune. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I don't want to hear get an ice cream. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's usually like sometimes like a covert operation, like drug deal or something. Apparently. Exactly. Love that. Um, Meg, would you like to give us a bit of an insight into your your journey with your eating disorder and your mental health? Yes. Oh, thank you. Uh, so I was, hmm, it's really interesting. I've been trying to reflect a lot. It's funny. I say you go through recovery and then you go to recovery 2.0 when you reflect on all of recovery. Yes, <laughs> um, this is a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> So when I look back now that I'm out of it, I have a lot of thoughts and insights that I wasn't aware of going through it. And so I think my eating disorder started in, well, it didn't start in puberty, but the roots were planted there, which were basically, I'm almost six feet tall. I'm kind of like a, a bean sprout, like tall, lanky person had no curves and everyone else around me was just like developing these cute curvy bodies. And I was like, what happened to me? I'm just, that's where I learned. I'm not good enough. You know, it was like, that's yeah. where I learned it. Like yeah. that's where it came in because I just felt so out of place. I felt like none of the boys were giving me attention and all the other girls got attention. And, um, my social status was like reflected in this. I felt like as a kid, I was just not in the popular crowd. So I picked up all these messages that I wasn't good enough just in puberty. And it was really challenging and then, um, dealt with a lot of self-confidence issues. And then in high school, because I am a bean pole, as they say, and I say that lovingly now, <laughs> I'm, more, I'm definitely curvier now, <laughs> but, um, when I was that way, I think it was like kind of a blessing and a curse because that was when America's Next Top Model was a big show. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're a beanpole. You could be on America's Next Top Model. Like they didn't call me that, but basically I have this like model frame, which I was really uncomfortable in, but everyone else was like, hey, you should do this. And I was like, oh, aha, my route to value. You know, I was like, modeling. This will do it. This is my pill. This is my magic pill I'll take and I will feel valued and like good enough. So I actively pursued this modeling contract. I want to roll my eyes when I say that. Cause there were like, I probably could have pursued many other things and developed talents besides just like looking good, you know, it's like kind of funny. Um, but I pursued this modeling contract. And as a result of that, the eating disorder behaviors kind of swooped in. So lots of restricting that turned into anorexia with a binge purge subtype. And I remember being in blatant denial that I was even using behaviors. So I would like purge and just ignore it and be like, whatever. It's just, it is what it is. Like, it's, I'm not one of those girls. I'm not one of those people you hear about in health class, like I'm doing this because I want to achieve my goal and totally denial of like the severity of the behavior for probably two years. Um, kept lost weight, got the modeling contract, moved to New York city, did fashion week. Um, and during fashion week, 
they uh, sent me to get my skin like fixed. I was breaking out or something. They sent me to a facialist and the facialist burned my face. (laughs) My skin had a terrible reaction and I missed all of, I missed like my first fashion week ever. And as a teenager with very little life perspective or sense of the long term, I thought that career was over and therefore all of my sense of worth and value was just gone. And that triggered a huge like binge purge episode in this modeling apartment. And I rapidly just like lost control of the eating disorder because my, it was like my body just took over and it was no longer a contained thing. It just became this chaotic mess. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So then I realized it was an issue, moved home and then focused on recovery from there. And it took me a few years to get rid of the behaviors and, you know, go to therapy, see a dietitian, and, um, eventually heal, you know, and I'd say I was fully recovered by the time I was 23. So yeah, it's a really long, it's a long journey, isn't it? Especially when you think about the time that you now realize you were using your eating disorder to cope or to, you know, get through life. But at the Mm -hmm. time you're in such denial about it even existing. So it's like, you know, there was this period of time where you recognized that you were struggling. And then this other period of time where you recognize in hindsight that you were struggling, you know, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I totally get what you mean. Um, and with the, like the hindsight thing, I think about my, um, you know, the, the puberty story, not feeling like I enjoy, like loved my body, wanted to change my body, wanted to fit in. But there was also a lot of um, problems with my ability to feel negative emotion. Like I was, I was uh, raised in very happy home, but I don't think the negative emotions were thoroughly addressed. Right. Um, so I think when I would, I honestly don't remember feeling negative emotion and I know that can't be real. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Emotions are 50, 50. So like, imagine just totally glazing over all negative emotion. Like I was probably half robot. I don't understand, but I think the binge purge was also just this way to just keep pushing off negative emotion and then finding relief. It just manifested in this like pressure and relief cycle um, because I didn't know how to manage or name the emotions or cope with them no especially I I relate to this on such a deep level I think you and I both have quite bubbly personable personas and I think uh, my therapist is at me about it all the time she's like you can't be positive all the time you know and I think people like us we tend to do those things where we're we're constantly masking that negative emotion and it can be with Mm -hmm you know, those, that bizarre coping mechanism. And I think that's why we're so vulnerable to developing eating disorders because eating disorders have that incredible ability to just numb out anything, you know, you just, mm-hmm. right. So it's like, well, I, I do not know how to sit with this emotion. I don't know what it means. I don't know how long it's going to last. If I use behaviors, I don't have to feel it. 
And that mm-hmm. is that is really alluring when you when you're really confused and don't know what you're doing. And I understand it. It's a tox, it's a very it's cyclical and it's toxic, but it is it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the emotion piece wasn't something I really fully even confront. I feel like I confronted all the behaviors. I got rid of all the thoughts. So like by definition, I was recovered, but I wasn't emotionally attuned for several years after that. I mean, I just turned to drinking and partying, dating relationships. And like, I would say later on when these feelings became really strong was when I had to start dealing with them. And um, now I'm like an emotional Olympian cause I got it, you know, I've got it figured out, but it takes a long time to be able to sit with negative emotion. And I still do that thing. Like it was, I have to add this cause you brought up therapy. Do you go into your therapy session like bright and cheery, even if you want to sob a minute later? Literally I start every single therapy session. Like, hi, how are you Imogen? Oh, I'm well, thanks. How are you? Every time. And yeah. when I could be like, literally have been sobbing in the car five minutes earlier. And you come in and you're like, no, I'm actually really good. I'm like, how are you really? Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Oh, how are you doing? And then, and then I'm like, so, and then I like, then I, it's like showing up the idea of showing up with a negative or like a negative emotion without positively greeting someone is something I have not been able to figure out no oh oh my goodness you speak to my soul Meg Uh, I just I relate to that on every level possible Mm -hmm. um but you know what I have figured out really recently and I think you'll understand this I did use my eating disorder to numb out really bad emotions and that it did the job numbed out all the bad emotions but it also prohibited me from actually feeling really good emotions as well I laughed the last few months. Like I remember the first night I laughed and it stuck in my brain because that night I had, I'd had lasagna for dinner and I was like, just, I remember lasagna because beforehand I was like, it was one of lasagna for some reason for me has been something that my eating sort of really clung to, even when I was not at my worst, it was just something that I was like, I'm not sure why it's just one of those bizarre things. Um, but I'd had lasagna this night. I was with my friends, you know, we were watching this funny movie and I laughed straight from my belly and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't actually remember the last time I felt this happy. Like I actually feel really happy. And I realized that, okay, yeah, I was numbing out all this emotion for a really long time and a lot of it was bad, but I was missing some really good feelings as well. I was missing out on some really cool experiences. Um, and so now I feel like, and I don't know why I had to bring on full lasagna, but here we are. But it's like this token of happiness for me now, like a little bit of a recovery token. Like, yes, like it's such, the recovery process is completely laden in terror a lot of the time, but there are these little like glimpses of like, oh, this is why I'm doing it. And I think it's, I think it's a really cool thing to be able to feel bad emotions because I think it also means you're capable of feeling the good ones as well Mm -hmm. so you know if you can get the whole spectrum of emotions you're actually a healthy person so true yes I I was 
once certified as a life coach and they would say emotions are 50 50 you know you need to have the good emotions and the bad emotions for the contrast because then the good wouldn't feel so amazing right oh that's so true how can you how can you fully appreciate something so good if you've never experienced anything bad Mm -hmm. oh yes and that's one of those recovery wisdom pieces that I picked up was that life has upswings and downswings. And by, by that, I mean like really amazing periods of your life and then periods of pain, hurt, disappointment, and usually they balance each other out. So what I'd like to do is when I'm in a tough, difficult, painful place in life, I like to remember that I'm destined for a positive upswing. It's just like Newton's law, right? For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. I apply that to difficult times and I use that to carry me through the difficult times. Yeah. And even having that, being able to reflect upon patterns like that in the past, you know, when you've been convinced that you're at your lowest point and that you'll be there forever, but then recognizing that after that lowest point at some point, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes, like you do eventually get out of it doesn't matter how convinced you are at the time that you won't, it's somehow, some way you do end up in a much better place. And I think trusting that process and that the ebbs and flow of life is something that's a skill in itself. And Yes. Yes. Have you heard the expression, the only thing constant in life is change? Oh yeah. What that, what a chestnut. (laughs) That's, that's, that's tattoo worthy. (laughs) My clients hate it when I say that. <laughs> oh, Meg, what a, yeah, what a, what a, what is it? What a cheesy, yeah, tacky. We love it. I'm like, get it on my forehead, please. I love it. <laughs> I feel like it can be comforting sometimes when you feel stuck in recovery, just recognizing that if you're in a, in your darkest place, you're destined for a change. You're, something's going to change, whether you, can control that change or things just get shaken up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is permanent. And that can be, I mean, it can be a bit daunting, but it can also be very reassuring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, this actually kind of carries on well to the theme that I was hoping that we could talk, talk about. So I'm really interested in discussing vulnerability and how that showed up for you in your recovery and life in general. Um, I recently went through something where I, like, I went back to treatment. I kind of fully submerged myself in this world of recovery just so that I could really like, I just wanted to go hard, you know, completely move, you know, move beyond the place of surviving and just like bridge the gap, start to thrive. And I'm very, very blessed to say that that's where I am now. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Um, But it took a lot of vulnerability and it took a lot of uh, trusting in external sources of, support and I just wondered if you have any kind of relation to that personally or maybe with your clients you know is there something that yeah really strikes you as being vulnerable vulnerability you know based and healing yes oh well there's so much that comes to mind when you bring that up um I think when I think of vulnerability and then also you were talking about like your team and vulnerability with your team. I think one thing I did really good at was facing therapy and being extremely honest, right? Like 
no lying, no fudging things so that I can hold on to my eating disorder longer. I faced it head on and was very, very open and owned my shit very early, which helped a lot. Whereas, you know, I have a twin sister who also struggled with disordered eating. It wasn't as bad as mine, but, um, I would say when she went to therapy, she like, didn't want to say anything and held it back. And who knows, she might've even denied some things. And I think it caused her to struggle a lot longer than me. Right. She actually never really continued therapy. Like she just disconnected from it altogether. So I do think the vulnerability showed up there, but I will say that I was very secretive about my eating disorder too my family, my friends. So I wasn't this vulnerability master. I was very scared to talk about it. So, yeah. I definitely understand that. And I think it's very easy. I think it's almost across the board with an eating disorder to kind of have this us versus them mentality when it comes to being vulnerable and getting support, you know, like it's me and my eating disorder coming up against external sources of support. In reality, you can appreciate, oh, for me in hindsight, um, it's definitely me and my support networks coming up against my eating disorder, but it doesn't feel about like that at the time. And, you know, it, it lends itself to a lot of secrecy and, you know, deceptiveness and it's obviously not healing, but it's definitely what happens at the time, right? You start to, you think you're treating teens out to get you and that, <laughs> you know, maybe even like, or that you have to please them by not failing and not, you know, mm-hmm. you know, not giving into the eating disorder, which is, it's, it's a whole thing, isn't it? Yes. I see that all the time in my one-on-one practice. And if you want to practice vulnerability in any way in recovery, the whole process is a vulnerable process, but be vulnerable enough to trust your team. Right. So if right. you have a meal plan, if you have a meal plan, you have to just let go and follow, follow it by what the dietitian who's well-trained professional has your best interest in mind. Like you have to remember these things and it's very vulnerable to put your, like, I don't know, your, your coping mechanism, your, your eating disorder in the hands of other people. Like it's a very vulnerable thing to pass that to someone else and say, okay, I give you permission to help me and I trust you. And I trust that what you say might be more real than what I'm thinking in my head. (laughs) I might not be, I might not be right, even though I really want to be right. Yes. And something that has been, it, it gives me so much peace and it's quite, it's another one of those like cringy quotes you're gonna love it because you and I love that um but it's like trusting in the process and leaning into the discomfort I've really really oh my goodness grown to appreciate now that when I'm uncomfortable that's the only time that I'm actually growing and you know that's the time that I'm recovering right and it's like if I'm actually comfortable with the process I'm probably not doing it right (laughs) right yeah Yeah. and it's like trusting like you said I I'm not a dietitian and I have a very, you know, skewed perception of food. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe this dietitian isn't out to get me. Maybe she doesn't have an ulterior motive. Maybe she's just trying to help me recover from this illness. 
and I should trust her and not the you know the thing in my head that's <laughs> doing the opposite right exactly yeah I think this leaning into discomfort shows up everywhere in life and recovery and what the most uncomfortable thing let me know if you felt the same way um for me in recovery and it was very vulnerable was when you are at this precipice of should I use a behavior or not and obviously it's really comfy to use the behavior right it feels like kind of comfy at least temporarily um so for me leaning into discomfort really showed up when I had to actively choose not to purge pretty much that was like where things really started to change because when I leaned into that discomfort um it I rode the wave you know you rate ride the wave of wanting to use the behavior and then once that urge goes away then you ride the discomfort of your emotions and feelings and the sense of urgency or whatever you had you have to cope with that so there's a lot of discomfort you're leaning into but when you're at the other end you can feel like you've grown absolutely and pushing through that discomfort has this really it comes with a lot of gratic like delayed gratification you know you realize holy dooly I'm glad I did that and you know, it was awful at the time. I, I have a similar, for me, that leaning into discomfort really props up when I observe body changes. You know, that was something that was always, was always a really big trigger for me was to just, you know, I've almost got like this false reinforcement that my biggest fears were coming true when my body changed because I'd changed the way I was eating and that the only way to get through that discomfort was to revert to old ways and just undo the body change. Um, but it was only when I just kind of went, got to the point where I'd been in that cycle for so long and I'd just gone, like, I'd recognized that I was just, you know, kind of going to and from the same places physically, uh, and never getting anywhere, never being any like fulfilled or satisfied or anything. And yeah, it wasn't until like recently that I just kind of went with the process and just sat with the body changes for a while. Like it was all you could do. Right. You cannot, you can't do anything to undo them to, you know, mask the feeling that you're feeling, but just kind of being there and just flat out sitting with it. And you're like, <laughs> this is horrific. But now, now I've gone through it and I can see, thank God that I did. And I'm sure that you think the same thing about purging, like probably the most difficult task in your life because you know that there is a behavior that you can perform that instantly would make you feel that like gratified on the spot be eating disorder at least and choosing not to do that like talk about discomfort mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now look at this land of comfort that you get to live in that's a life without an eating disorder like yes yes and the thing is it's like are you really comfortable actually using behaviors and the answer is no like it feels comfortable because you're coping for something, but at the end of the day, you're not really comfortable. And that's like a reality and a truth that really helps to take on be like, you know, I'm not really comfortable with my eating disorder. It's this fake comfort. (laughs) You know what I mean? Very. Yeah. It is this false, this perception of comfort. That's actually the source of all distress, probably, or a lot of the distress Mm -hmm. that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And I love your example of body image, of uh, body changes and sitting with that. Cause I feel like that's a really great example for, for everyone to apply right in recovery, which is when your body changes, you have two options. You can react or you can pause and respond. Right. And so if you're constantly, if you reach that number on the scale that you like know is where your team wants you to be, it usually should be higher anyway. But if you reach some number that, you know, means like your weight restored, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Just pause, just pause, wait, don't revert back to those old behaviors. Just sit there and then choose to respond. And that response is going to hopefully be, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm going to continue taking care of myself, but you need to have that. You need to slow down in order for that to happen. Oh my goodness. That is the best piece of advice. I think you could ever, you'd ever give someone. Um, I think we have this tendency to react just to get, like you, like we've spoken about earlier, just to get rid of that bad feeling in the moment. But it's, yeah, it's when you stop and you stay. And for me, it was going, and not everyone's going to relate to this specifically, but with my eating disorder, I had to kind of uh, move from a place of being quite, my physical changes were quite dramatic and quite jarring at first. Uh, And not everyone does have that experience, but that was what it was for me. And sitting with the discomfort kind of allowed me to sit in a body that wasn't my previous one that was brought on by my eating disorder, but to sit there long enough to build up a new kind of bank of memories and associations and healthy habits. And for that new body to become a new normal, because I think we fall into that trap too, of, you know, experiencing body alterations, having that really dramatic comparison of what we looked like, you know, in the not so distant past and what life was like and what it felt like to exist in that body. We haven't given ourselves enough time to make our new body the new normal oh and I just remember I was even speaking to someone about it recently I think body changes are something that we don't like they're spoken about a lot but I don't think people realize the gravity of what it's like to deal with change you know I was observing changes in like bizarre things like I had a bit of a meltdown one night because I was (laughs) I was sitting on the toilet I was like, my body never looked like this sitting on the toilet. Like, this is all new. And what a bizarre thing. No one else is going to get that <laughs> if you don't have an eating disorder. But I was like, what is this new body? But I've been in it long enough now that I'm actually aware that I have a whole lot more. I can feel happy. I can do it. Like, I can go out and enjoy myself. I can eat whatever the, like, whatever I feel like. And this body is just what allows me to do that. And I don't have that really recent jarring comparison of what it was like to live in a smaller body because I've been in this one long enough. You know, I think that's that's the hump, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, you are so wise. I think that was perfectly articulated because it's true. When you sit with the new body, you're giving yourself a chance to adapt to it, right? You need to give it a ch- give your new body a chance. Yeah, right. <laughs> Give it a chance. Take it on a few <laughs> dates, you know, get to know it. <laughs> exactly. Take it out. Take it for a spin. 
literally I really like it honestly like for instance this is a very personal example but when I recovered from my eating disorder well I had my eating disorder I had no sexual activity in my life right I was like (laughs) I had no hormones no so no sex hormone I was just like this Mm, yeah. I, I don't know what was going <laughs> asexual that's what I had convinced I was about to say I convinced myself I was asexual but yes continue yeah. yes and then hey guess what happened I recovered fell in love experienced my body through my sexuality and it was banging and freaking awesome and I was like if my body can give me this experience I love this body heck yes and, like, right? and what would you revert back to getting that like, ooh, buzz of like eating disorder excitement when you kind of like have this, you know, either user behavior or for me, it was like, oh, I feel small, which sounds really, you know, vain and everything when I'm, when it comes out of my mouth, but it's just the truth of what my experience was. But I'm like, that was, that was not happiness. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> feeling small. Yeah. It turns out not really happy. <laughs> yeah. But, and I totally get you. It's like the world opens up and so many parts of your life open up when you're not just trying, like your whole existence isn't, yeah. existence isn't suppressing your natural form. Right. Like your body, your, this is such a good chat because I don't hear people talking about this. Your new body will give you new gifts and new experiences. And you need to sit with that and be patient and let your body show you what it can do for you, right? Like in a good way, when you actually accept it and when you love it or at least tolerate it and enjoy it and like it, whatever, choose the word. But you really need to get to a point where you can give yourself time in that body before you revert back to the old body, which we all know that, we all know what that leads to, which why would you want to go back? No, and you know, that's actually a really beautiful way to put it as well, because I was always told like, especially when I was a teenager, you know, focus on what your body can like do. Like it allows you to walk. It allows you to hug people. And that's really true. But my eating disorder would just translate that to, yeah, but I can do all that with an eating disorder. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly what the dialogue was. And it's like the functionality of like the actual day-to-day functionality of a healthy body. And the things like you just said, like you get this, you have, you get to explore your sexuality. You get to explore things like oh, what's it like? Things like someone would say not being cold all the time. And I was like, it's not really a motivation. Like I can put a jumper on, <laughs> but it's actually crazy. Like I could, sure. I could have put a jumper on, but could I have swam in the ocean and actually had a good time? No, mm-hmm. I couldn't. And I think I went years without actually enjoying that and being fully immersed in experiences like going out and Oh, like going out for dinner and actually not giving two toots what what's on the menu and like thinking about the conversation that's going on, right? Like it's actually fun. And I was like, so my, you know, whatever, my thighs are bigger when I do this. It actually turns out it, it, it doesn't matter at all. And I'm a lot happier. And I know people were telling me that all along, but I think it just took me experiencing that and actually gaining that, gaining those, you know, those little things that kind of put the puzzle pieces together, like, oh, actually a a healthy body is functional in ways that an unhealthy body isn't. And I can focus on what that functionality is. 
and let that be the reason that I stay in this body you know like aesthetically I'm going to be completely honest and I don't think a lot of people maybe say this out loud because it can't maybe maybe it's discouraging but I think I would have appreciated it that the weight restoration process um isn't like if that's something you have to go through it's not sunshine and rainbows and you go from like maybe hating your body with an eating disorder to loving a healthy body like that wasn't my experience at first I was like I do not like my appearance I don't like it and that's just like that was my reality however the life that I got to live I actually liked and for a while it was like accepting you know what I'm not I'm aesthetically I'm not over the like head over heels in love with what I look like but I'm actually exploring life and like knowing what I can do day to day to that that I do actually love and I'm gonna stay a little bit longer in this body and just see what else it has to offer you know before I jump back to being aesthetically more satisfied does that make Mm -hmm. sense absolutely I've heard a, a therapist friend of mine her name is Danny Bryant she's amazing she's body liberation therapist and she And I don't know if she invented this. So maybe I'm giving her credit for something that she heard somewhere else, but I heard it from her first, but they say that body love is kind of like obtaining your PhD. Like if you, if you can reach body love, it's basically like achieving your PhD. Do you need a PhD to enjoy life? No. Right. So it's a spectrum on one side, you have body hatred on the other side, you have body love. And there are so many relationships with your body in between that, like body peace or body respect or body tolerance or body trust, like pick your word, shoot for that. And so what I'm hearing from you is that maybe you didn't reach body love. That's fine. We don't need you to have a PhD in your body, although it'd be nice if you did just accept it associate's degree and take body tolerance we'll 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 accept that (laughs) exactly and take life I feel like I'm getting a PhD in loving life and I feel like the end of the day that's what I'd rather my PhD in you know (laughs) okay let me tell you that I I have sorry to interrupt but my podcast intro I literally say in my podcast intro that I have PhD in having fun (gasps) Oh my goodness, I love this. And that's like at the end of your life, are you going to, this is what I picture myself, hopefully I'm very privileged enough to be sat, you know, with maybe some great grandchildren, maybe having a cup of tea and a brownie. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'd much rather be thinking, I had such a fun life. I got, you know, I threw myself into every situation. I lived life to the absolute fullest. You know, I'd rather be sat there really satisfied and fulfilled with how I filled my days rather than sitting there at 80 years old being like oh yeah I had a really flattering body in my 20s you know I didn't eat but my body was flattering and then in my 30s I lived a similar existence yeah it's just not as fulfilling (laughs) it's like yeah even like I even now like I was and it's kind of, I don't love to say, admit it out loud, but I'm going to because I know other people will relate. My eating disorder made me more satisfied with my body sometimes, not all the time, but there was times when I felt this weird pervasive sense of pleasure in being shrunken. I'm going to say that. Um, 
but even now it was so short-lived and I don't look back upon that time when I was in a smaller body with like oh what a good time in my life you know it's not like I'm not don't reminisce over it but I reminisce over like going out with my with my best friends I went like just last night I went out with my best friend and we went and got tacos and that is like that's a warm and fuzzy memory but fitting a small jean size never gave me a warm and fuzzy memory so yeah yeah I I mean I'm the the life we want to get to a point where our life is not the quality of our life is not determined or connected to our body size right like you want to just like one thing I want to mention too which is really cool when you're recovered is that you will go through phases of life where your body just kind of changes on its own so like maybe due to getting older maybe due to lifestyle changes seasons of mental health issue, like not like depression, for instance, or changes of medication, like weight fluctuations happen, body changes happen, people get sick, like all the things. And like being able to be in, when you're recovered, you just can accept those changes. You're not going to overanalyze them or make it mean something about you or even notice it. Sometimes you can gain like X amount of weight and not really even notice it because you're too busy living life. You have bigger fish to fry than, than whatever's showing up in the mirror. Oh, totally. And when your life has grown, because when you have an eating disorder, I think you have this acute fixation on what your body looks like day to day. And uh, for me, I literally revolved every single day around avoiding alterations and doing whatever I could to keep that constant body, you know, whatever the shape and whatever the same but okay and here's one piece of advice that I give every single person now is like for me I need there is no way that I can live a happy existence constantly monitoring my weight it's just not going to be something that's Mm -hmm. and like looking for that change and you're right like our bodies live they exist in flux they are going to constantly change you know if you're a female and you even in, cyclically, every month your body's going to change. If you ever have, have a child, there's a massive change. Aging, we're going to change. You know, you're not going to have the same body that you had at 16 when you're 45. And I think it's just a whole lot more painstaking if that, if you're, if you're li- like, if your biggest fear is your body changing and that's inevitable, like you're bound to have a very excruciating experience if you, if you try and, prevent that happening yeah yeah I I find it like I find it really sad when I feel or I see someone clinging like I don't know if they have an eating disorder this is just in life if I see someone clinging to their high school size I wonder about their mental health because life is about change it's about adaptation and if you're so rigid about staying in this one, like this exact weight in life, that just feels like you're kind of sticking yourself in this unrealistic expectation. And I, I don't know, like you want to kind of think to yourself, like this sounds, this might sound a little judgmental, but you want to think to yourself, it's a little weird to stay the same size. It's a little weird. Like, it's, let's be honest, you should be expecting changes every now and then. And we, we embrace change. We want to change. I had this, one of my best friends from college, she 
um, mentioned to me that she had gained weight. She has no eating disorder history, but she just gained weight maybe in her like mid twenties. And I think I don't remember how this conversation came up, but she was just like, you know, I did gain some weight, but I think I'm just taking on my womanly shape. Oh, I love that. Isn't that so wholesome? It's like, do you know how many, pe- how many people would live in a whole lot more peace if they had that mindset? Oh, yeah. Like I was like, as someone with an eating disorder history, I was just like jaw on the floor. Like that is like, the wait. most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Anymore. And you're like, wait, is that it? You, you're just there or like, oh my goodness, someone, you deserve some kind of Nobel prize. Right. And sometimes it really is that simple. Your body's just taking on a womanly shape or a new shape. And we have to accept, we, it's better to accept that. And, and like, I think the barometer here is your relationship with food. Like if you have a peaceful relationship with food and your body changes, just know that your body's doing its best to keep you safe and alive. And that change was necessary. Oh, honestly. And your body knows best. We try and outsmart our bodies at every opportunity, but if you just let them do their thing, they, they're like, they're like our health practitioners or our, you know, they don't have an ulterior motive. They're not out to get you. Your body doesn't want to work against you. It is just doing what it wants to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, to, to thrive. Uh, and when we can learn to embrace that or at least have trust in that, it's a whole lot more, it's a freeing existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your body's going to work for you. It's going to do some work. It yeah. wants to. It's yeah. going to want to metabolize your food and digest food. And, like it, it wants to heal your wounds. It, it does the job if you allow it to. Absolutely. And the more that you kind of, I really like the idea because sometimes I think recovery as a concept is really hard to wrap your head around or hard to feel worthy of, or maybe, you know, some people really struggle with that deserving to recover, but I really, um, I really like the idea of not even making recovery, the focal point of whatever you, you know, how you're making your like getting through your days, but just making self-compassion, the focal point, you know what I mean? And so nourishing your body, you know, uh, leaning into, you know, giving yourself, the permission to take care of your inner child and eat and honor that and you know allowing yourself you know giving yourself some patience some trust and if you approach everything in your life with that how can I what decision can I make that best reflects self-compassion I think you'll you'll have a very you'll have a peaceful existence. And I think recovery, yeah, approaching recovery with the idea of I'm looking at this through the lens of self-compassion. Would it really be compassionate to, you know, follow food rules and deprive myself of things that I enjoy and deprive my body of the nutrients that it needs and suppress my natural figure? Is that really self-compassion? You know, I don't think so. Just the same way as like, I'm going to get enough sleep tonight because that's self-compassion. I'm going to honor my values or I'm going to say yes or no to social things depending on how what that how self-compassion manifests in that moment I think it kind of it simplifies the recovery experience you can just be like what can I do that I shows myself some love right now 
Mm-hmm. And that is so hard to do sometimes. Ugh. It is so hard, but it's, it's something you learn and build in recovery. And then when you're out of recovery, you still have that skill. So it's this beautiful thing that can be applied to the rest of your life, which I think is really exciting, right? To be able to have that. And I just want to make it really clear to everyone, like having an eating disorder is a form of self-harm. Like it's actually abusive to yourself. So you're not just, you're not just not being compassionate. You're abusing yourself in a way you are harming yourself so we need to move the needle away from that and self-compassion is a really good way to do that it's just one nice thing can you commit to one small like I don't even want to say challenge just like just one meal at a time like if you can complete that that meal plan today that's very self-compassionate right yeah. Be honest with, with the meal about the meal plan too. And it's self-compassion to be honest with the people that you love and that the ones that are trying to support you. And I don't think we really like, yeah, it's, it's self, it's a form of self-neglect and eating disorder mm-hmm. I, and trying to switch that, trying to switch that from like, yeah, self-neglect to self-compassion. That was something that really helped my recovery because I didn't sometimes being wrapped in what's the best recovery decision can be really overwhelming and a bit confusing, but just what is the best? Yeah. Honors myself, compassion. What decision does that? Mm -hmm. That's a really nice thought. It's like a little cheat code. Just remember self-compassion and, and it's easier. It simplifies the decision-making same with, I think if you think about your vision for your life, that you know, when I work with one-on-one clients, I usually spend a whole session talking to them about why they want to recover and their recovery vision. And so another simplification might be when you look at the choice you have in front of you, which option will lead me towards the vision of my future that I want. And that's usually helpful too, I think, to keep your values and your vision front and center. Yeah. And if I continued the behaviors that I continued today, what would my life look like in 10 years time? That scared Mm -hmm. me in the middle of my eating disorder completely. So I don't want to be doing this in 10 years time. So why am I doing it today? Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of individuals out there who suffer lifelong because, and um, I've had many clients who, who have, and they're still working towards recovery. And I think it is something that you want to identify early. You want to take accept treatment early you know the longer you go without seeking treatment the the more difficult it is I'm so glad that we had this conversation we went into all the ins and outs of body changes and vulnerability and leaning into discomfort I think I think we were very real and a bit you know raw about the experience but I think that'll be very appreciated Oh, I'm sure it will. I think you have a lovely podcast and it was just a joy to be able to connect with you again. Seriously, I love our chats and I feel like I always connect really well with you. So it was a joy to to see you again and just oh. to have, have a recovery chat. Oh, the same goes to you. Honestly, I connect every time and you just, you, you give me warm and fuzzies. Oh my gosh, you yeah. give me warm and fuzzies. Right? Stop that. Meg, where can our lovely listeners find you? 
So they can find me at meg-mccabe.com. They can also, so I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then if you want a more of an affordable option, I have the Recovery Collective, which is a monthly membership. And we have different little workshops. We do group coaching. We do yoga, cook-alongs every single month. So if you want a community, I highly recommend checking that out and send me a DM on Instagram. Instagram, I'm Meg underscore McCabe. And um, you can reach out to me. I'll tell you all about it. And hopefully we can connect you with any sort of services that you're looking for. That's so cool. And just so everyone knows, I will leave all of your details in the description box below so that they can go and find you. I know that they're going to be seeking you out now. And that Recovery Collective, what an amazing idea, like all collected, uh, all together and like, you know, bonding over a mutual, you know, suffering, but also the empowerment of getting through that together. I think that's really a beautiful thing that you've got going. It really is. Thank you so much. I, I think it's pretty amazing and it adds a little bit of lightness to recovery just to have a community. So you're not isolating yourself. So you have peers who understand and then just a variety of like educational tools and workshops. And we invite people in for like speaking engagements and things all the time. So um, you'll get exposed to lots of cool people in there too, which is oh, great. That's so cool. You are an angel. Thank you for existing, Meg. Oh, thank you for existing. And hopefully, you know, maybe one day we'll have you join, like, uh, join a workshop or something or host a workshop. If you ever oh my goodness. To. Stop. Dream come true. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I just amazing. realized I asked you all, like, I just said, you could say no. I know there's pressure because I just asked you on the podcast. No, I love it. I'm there. Can't we? No, you know, now you stuck with me. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, that would be really, really exciting uh, to, to just keep working with you. you know? Oh, definitely going to happen. I was just going to say, we'll definitely have to, we'll definitely collaborate again because I, I can't get enough of this. This is, this is awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, Emmy. It was so great to see you again. And I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Meg. Oh. <laughs>